turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 16 this morning. Sunday morning, studying the book of Genesis in a series entitled Gleanings, and we come to chapter 16 this morning. If you're with us this morning without a Bible, just wave to one of these guys coming up the aisle right now, and uh, they'll give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Tonight, um, as we're finding our place here in Genesis, tonight is, will be our first uh, communion service of the year and our Sunday evening, second Sunday, and uh, I'll be sharing a special message this evening uh, for us. And so, at 6 o'clock this evening, all of you are invited. Uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, uh, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And then Sarai's, uh, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, that is Sarai, became despised in her eyes. And then Sarai said to Abram, What uh, my, uh, my wrong be upon you? I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. And so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the stream on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He will be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. You thought your children were uh, tough. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And then she spoke the name uh, of the Lord who spoke to her. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also uh, here seen him who sees me? And therefore the well was called uh, Bir Lahai Roy. Uh, observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 60, 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, and we have sung of it. And we never cease to lose, uh, uh, to, we never lose in any, any sense at all our awe over that. We thank you that we are the sheep of your pasture. 
We thank you that you are fully aware and active in each of our lives in a way that uh, we can hardly comprehend. You know the numbers of hairs that are on our heads, so current is your knowledge. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we stand before you, that the reasons for which this chapter exists in the Bible, that you would take and bring them into our understanding and into our processing of life, into our relationship with you, Lord, and that you would use this time in your word to further sanctify ourselves to you. We have a desire to be like Jesus. We have a desire for our life in that condition to bless you and to make a difference in the world in which we live. That sinners and people just like us before we came to know you would look and see that there is hope for them and seeing you do such a beautiful work in our lives. And we pray for this work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember that God had made a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when he initially called Abram to the unique calling that Abram would have and has in human history. And let me read it to you once again for memory's sake. And the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be blessed. And I will bless those who bless you, and curse him who curses you, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then that call of God upon Abram's life, it consisted of three basic promises. First, that God would bring into existence a great nation through Abram, speaking of the Jewish people. And second, that God would give a land to Abram and to his descendants, speaking uh, of the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And third, that God would then bless the entire world through Abram and through his descendants, because it would be through the Jewish people that God would ultimately provide uh, the world with the Messiah and the Savior that we so desperately needed, and that is in, in the person of Jesus himself. God then, interestingly, he reaffirmed his promise to Abram when his nephew Lot uh, separated from him towards Sodom. Genesis chapter 13, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Uh, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, width, for I give it to you. And then as we studied last time, God confirmed his uh, promise to Abraham uh, with the most one-sided covenant imaginable, a covenant based solely upon himself. And concerning Abram's uh, descendants, God declared, Genesis 15, verse 4, uh, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, speaking of Eliezer, Abram's servant, shall not be your heir, uh, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
And then God spoke to him concerning the land of Canaan. He declared, uh, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. But it's important to understand that the time, by the time we come to Genesis chapter 16, uh, that ten very long years have uh, gone by since God gave those promises to Abram initially in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, I don't know, some of us get antsy waiting on God for five minutes uh, or a day or 48 hours uh, tops. Uh, but it is important to realize now that Abram has been waiting now 10 uh, full years. And after these 10 years, uh, Abram and Sarai are as childless as they ever were. And the fulfillment of God's promise to them seems as far off uh, as ever it did. And in fact, the possibility of having children is becoming more and more remote uh, by the day. In other words, if uh, given the fact that now they've aged uh, 10 uh, further years, uh, if Abram had been uh, 75 years old and was now 85 years old, Sarai was 65 years old when the promise was given, now 75 years old. In other words, if they had remained childless through the childbearing years of their life, the odds were getting worse by the year that they would uh, bear a child. It, it looked as if... Um, Something was missing here, as if uh, somehow uh, God was not managing this very, uh, very well, as, it, as, it, as the odds of the promise being fulfilled were becoming ever more remote. And so Sarai came up with a plan. Always be careful when you come up with a plan for God. But she came up with a plan to help God out in uh, helping Him fulfill His promise uh, to them. And the plan is described there and the results of it in verses 1 through 6, the plan specifically in verses 1 and 2. She had an Egyptian uh, uh, handmaiden uh, by the name of Hagar. And Hagar was probably given to Abram when he had gone down into Pharaoh, uh, to Egypt, and Sarai had been sold into the harem and the whole deal as we looked at uh, another time. And uh, before Pharaoh dismisses Abram and Sarai and then gives them an official escort out of Egypt and back into Canaan, uh, he did give Abram a fabulous amount of, of wealth, of, uh, of livestock, of herds, and also of men servants and uh, maid servants. And so she was probably uh, a part of that, that gift from Pharaoh. Sarai then informed Abram in verse 2 that clearly God had restrained her from having children. And as a result of the physical circumstances, it must mean that God intends to fulfill his promise of a child to them uh, by some other means. I mean, it's only reasonable if you just kind of step back. And let's not continue to look at this through the eyes of God. Let's step back and look at the situation logically. And uh, in, in fact, this is probably what God intended all along. Uh, but uh, we have been too blind uh, to see it, uh, the, to do what, he obviously, uh, what obviously needs to be done here. 
And so Sarai then proposed that Abram lie with Hagar, her maid, and that any child that resulted from the union would then become uh, her. She would claim as her own as a fulfillment of the promise. And you notice her words in verse 2, I shall obtain children by her. This is a very common custom in the ancient world for a rich and powerful man who had a wife that was uh, barren and unable to uh, bear children. The husband would lie with a concubine of some sort. She would become pregnant. Upon the child's uh, birth, the child would then be given to the wife. And no one would have even batted an eye in the ancient world concerning uh, this plan of Sarai that she was giving uh, to Abram. And so it was simply the ancient world's version of uh, surrogacy. Now, uh, personally, I don't think that uh, Sarah came up Sarai came up with this idea, soon to become Sarah, but that she came up with this idea is kind of just a casual uh, knee-jerk reaction to the situation, that this was something that she came, uh, came into her mind, and then five minutes later she's uh, now proposing it to, to Abram. Uh, I can almost imagine the, the painful mental process that Sarai went through. And uh, coming up with the idea to begin with, and then the, the price that would be paid on her part uh, in, in, uh, in making the proposal and formal, formulating the plan. And it really did represent a significant sacrifice on her part as, uh, as a wife. Here sharing her husband's intimacy now with another woman. And uh, this is a husband who loved her, a husband that she loved. But if this is what it took in order for God's promise to them to come to pass, then she was willing to make uh, that sacrifice. And of course, this is a terrible idea uh, on her part. Uh, for those of you who don't know the story, we ought to set that straight uh, right at the beginning. Uh, Abram's response to all of this is that he is told us at the end of verse 2 through verse 4, Abram heeded the voice of his wife and, uh, and the plan uh, proceeded to be a smashing success uh, on, a, on a physical kind of carnal uh, level. We're told there in verse 2, Abram heeded the voice of Sarai, uh, that is, he agreed to participate uh, in her plan. Uh, Abram then uh, lay with Hagar, she conceived, uh, making clear then that it was Sarai who was uh, infertile of, of the two and not Abram. Uh, and, and after all, uh, in all of these promises that of a great nation and the descendants of Abram numbering as the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky, strictly speaking, uh, uh, at this point, uh, there's a way that Sarah could look at it and say, those promises have been given to you, Abram. There's been no mention of me at all in, in terms of this. And so this, uh, this is, was no direct violation, perhaps in her mind, uh, of God's promises to Abram. Uh, uh, as long as you ignore the nature of God and as long as you ignore his instruction concerning marriage all the way back in uh, the book of Genesis that described that uh, marriage was to be uh, by uh, one man and one woman for life. And so, uh, no, this was clearly what God intended all along. 
Uh, God had never specifically uh, spoken of me in terms of this, uh, this great blessing that would come into the world, and uh, so perhaps it's another woman that it's going to happen through. Now, the proper response of, of Abram to his plans, uh, his wife's plan would have been to just simply nip it at the bud and uh, put a stop uh, to it. He should have taken her immediately into his arms and then said, listen, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. I really do. And, uh, but you're my wife, I'm your husband, and to do this would not only be a sin against you, but it would be a sin against God. It would be a sin against Hagar, and it would be a sin against myself. We just need to trust God in the situation. If God can make a promise like this, then He can keep a promise like this. And, and so let's just trust in Him to keep His promise His way and in His uh, timing. But He didn't step up and He didn't do that. And uh, He's very, very passive here as a husband. And uh, his passivity is going to be evident very soon, again in verse 6, in which he abandons when the consequences of all of this begin to come, even begin to bloom. He uh, abandons the, the uh, Hagar to the harsh treatment of Sarai. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that here you have Abram. He's no coward. I mean, it's just two chapters ago that he takes this this 360 men or something that constitute his, uh, his servants. And he attacks a confederation of four kings in uh, the middle of the night and defeats them. I mean, this is not a, a, a wimpy kind of, of, of guy. But here at home, he will not make a stand for what is right uh, concerning his wife. Uh, he will not lead as he should. And it is very, very easy for a man to be uh, a lion in every other environment in life and then become a pussycat uh, in the hands of his wife. And this is something that we need to be conscious of, I think, as, as husbands. We love our wives. We desire to bless them. And, uh, but it is important to realize that just because a loved one is okay with engaging in a wrong of some kind, it does not mean that it is then okay uh, with God. And uh, as a result, for all of us, it's important for us, whether male or female, husband or wife, uh, important for us to recognize uh, such temptation. Uh, when these kind of temptations are forwarded to us by those that we love most in life, by those that we respect the most in life, by those whose opinions we hold dearest uh, in, in life, that even those things have to be tested by the Word of God and then be taken to God in prayer and then rejected uh, if necessary. I think that if a stranger, just a perfect stranger, had proposed this plan to Abram, he would have dismissed it outright. I mean, it would have seemed a farce to him. I mean, a crazy uh, proposal for anyone to come up with it. But because she came up with it, because his wife said it, uh, he didn't dismiss it. 
And here we have the importance of being wise about the misguided suggestions of uh, those that uh, we love even the most in, uh, in life. Now, I think that we can safely assume that initially uh, Hagar's pregnancy was celebrated by everyone, by Abram, by Sarai, and, and, uh, and, and certainly by, uh, uh, by Hagar. As anyone would celebrate any great plan that we had come up with, and now we launch the plan, and now the plan appears to be uh, a great success. This is always a cause for celebration, and I have no doubt that they uh, celebrated it. But then, of course, the bottom fell out, massively fell out, uh, as will always happen in any, any endeavor to supplant God's plan for my life uh, with my own plan for my life. And it is God's love and His grace that He will always cause those plans uh, to fail. The immediate and, and the long-term uh, consequences, the, the, the fallout of this carnal plan of Sarai and, and Abram, uh, are listed to us there in the latter part of verse 4 through verse 16. Upon becoming pregnant, Hagar immediately begins to despise uh, Sarai. And as you might imagine, uh, this would have created immediate tension in, in what was uh, presumably a peaceful relationship between the two uh, before this. And so she begins to despise uh, uh, Sarai. The word despise there means to become little or insignificant. And so uh, somehow here as Hagar is glowing in the pregnancy, uh, uh, of Abram, Sarai's uh, husband, and here she is now providing him with a son that Sarai uh, could not. She begins to now look down upon Sarai in a way that Sarai recognizes it to, to be happening uh, in, in the dynamic of their uh, relationship. And so a role reversal has occurred on some level and, uh, and this is pure misery for Sarai. And, uh, and this is a possibility that she had never thought of in terms of, of the plan. That's always the problem with our plans. Uh, God's plan never unfolds. and God, You'll never hear God say, oops. Uh, uh, or now what will I do? Uh, when his plan unfolds, everything is, is clear. And, uh, and, and perfect. This conflict then uh, produced the uh, previously unknown conflict uh, into Abram and Sarai's relationship with one another. So Sarai, she becomes very irrational here and uh, completely emotional, and she proceeded to blame Abram uh, for the entire mess that was now unfolding uh, there in verse 5, and she's saying, uh, she uh, talking about the wrong uh, that you have uh, to me be a, uh, upon you. In other words, you're to blame for this. You're responsible for all of this. You should have told me no. And uh, this is why uh, husbands take up bowling and uh, hunting and fishing and long trips to Montana or whatever uh, it might uh, take. So Abram, uh, women, I'm not 
I don't mean that derogatorily. You have your things that you do too. We're just not dealing with them at the moment. But, uh, but here, he, here he is. You can almost, uh, um, certainly a man can put himself in Abram's shoes and sandals in that situation. And he is in an absolute lose-lose situation. His mind is firing in all directions, trying to find just what is the way out of uh, this situation. I mean, you can almost see his face as he's hearing uh, these illogical uh, 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 accusations being brought against him. But, but be that as it may, sufficient to say that he immediately begins to regret. Uh, the decision that he has made. And so both of them have. The consequences really fell hard upon Hagar as well, as we see in verse 6. And uh, she is guilty of pride. She is guilty of flaunting and a sense of superiority over uh, Sarai. She's not innocent in any way in all of this. She definitely lacks a, 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 a humility here. And, uh, but she really is a victim in all of this. And Abram, uh, unable here to find a, a clear solution to the problem that uh, Sarai's plan has uh, launched and a, a solution concerning specifically the, the conflict between Sarai and, and uh, Hagar, he simply threw it uh, back on uh, Sarai to solve and said, she's in your hands, you can do with her precisely uh, as uh, you, you please. And Sarai, and is not a shining moment for her, she proceeded then to deal very, very harshly with Hagar so harshly that Hagar then fled from Sarai's presence and went out into uh, the wilderness, trying to make her way now to Egypt, across the Sinai Peninsula. You have absolutely no hopes of surviving uh, that journey. And uh, if you're a, a, a triathlete, uh, let alone a, a slave woman who is now uh, pregnant, and, and so uh, she, her desperation, her anguish, her emotion, I mean, as she's now fleeing and running out ill-prepared Ill and equipped for a journey like that, but, but it all speaks to her, her desperation. And, and everyone who played any part in this carnal fleshly plan of Sarai is completely miserable at this particular point in time as a result. The consequences um, introduced into human history uh, through the birth of this child, a boy, who God instructs Hagar to uh, name Ishmael, which means God hears. There in verses uh, 7 through 16 it records it. There's a lot of things to, to be found in those verses, and we're not going to go into to all of them as God deals very, very graciously with Hagar uh, in, in the, under the circumstances. But this morning I want to keep our focus on the consequences of, of Sarai's carnal plan. And so an angel of the Lord, probably a Christophany, because she, uh, Sarai uh, mentions and names the place, or, or Hagar does, names the place uh, in verse 13. 
uh, you are the God who sees. And so she clearly recognizes whoever this angel of the Lord is to be the Lord himself. Probably a theophany, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in, in uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, he then came to her in the wilderness, instruct her to return to Sarai, and then to submit to her. In other words, everyone was going to have to now live with their mistake here. And then he, in verse 10, informed Hagar that he would multiply her descendants, and that through the son she was carrying, an uncountable multitude of people uh, would uh, uh, result. And uh, in verse 11, he told her that she was to name the child Ishmael again, which means God hears uh, when he was born. And then he proceeded to describe uh, to Hagar the kind of uh, child, the kind of uh, uh, son that Ishmael would be and that his descendants would be in uh, in the world. His characteristics is he would be a wild man. And uh, he would be uh, untamable. Uh, that he, as it's told there in verse 12, he would be against every man, and every man would be against him. In other words, he would uh, would ultimately become a source of endless conflict uh, among his neighbors and in in this world. He would be uh, a people given to conflict. And then that he would dwell in the presence of his brethren. In other words, he would be, uh, these descendants would be uh, distrustful of others. They would choose to uh, live in only in close proximity to, uh, to their group. And then later, Ishmael, as we see in Genesis chapter 21, uh, Ishmael at the age of 13, he openly mocks Isaac when he is uh, born to, uh, to Sarah, uh, Sarai and, and Abram, and uh, there was this feast given at the weaning of, of Isaac, uh, this great event in his life, and when Sarah uh, witnessed here the mocking of, of Ishmael toward this son of promise, she then at that point uh, demanded that Abram cast Hagar and Ishmael out from living in the immediate vicinity of Isaac. Uh, still later, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 25, at the time of Abram's death, Abraham's death, as a precaution, as a protective measure to concerning his son Isaac, uh, Abram sent the descendants of Hagar, Ishmael, and the Ishmaelites, all of the descendants of A- Abram uh, through his second wife, Keturah, who he married following uh, Sarah's uh, death. He sent all of them to the east so as to not to pu- uh, present any competition to Isaac as being the fulfillment of the promises given to Abram and any competition to uh, the land of Canaan belonging to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and their their, uh, descendants. So he was protecting that that bloodline. And the Ishmaelites were told, uh, settled in the land east of Canaan, stretching from Assyria, 
that is uh, northern Iraq, all the way to the border of Egypt. And that's where the Ishmaelites uh, proceeded to, to settle. Again, making the point that the immediate and long-term consequences of this carnal plan between uh, Sarah, uh, Sarai and Abram were very, very significant and very, very uh, long-lasting and doubtless uh, reaching uh, forward into human history uh, even today. Now, let me to close with some uh, uh, what I think are very practical applications. On a, on a practical level, uh, Ishmael was very simply a work uh, of the flesh. He was the product of human effort. He was the product of human ingenuity uh, of both Abram and Sarai uh, for the purpose of helping uh, God out. <laughs> and more specifically, uh, the, uh, an effort to help God keep a promise that God had made to him uh, and that he had fully intended to keep his way and in his time and that he actually would. And this work of their flesh uh, would be a source of great heartache, a great conflict, great complications that they would have to live with for the rest of their uh, life. And that's what happens when you create an Ishmael in your life. And, and we create a work of the flesh. We create an Ishmael in our life, so to speak, when we choose to take control of a situation in our lives, uh, not under the leading of the direction of the Holy Spirit, but now governed by our fallen nature from Adam and Eve, and uh, our decisions are dominated by our body, by our body appetites, by our human ingenuity, and by our human effort. And always when we uh, begin to make decisions in, under the weight of those things, we are going to create our own Ishmaels in our own life. For example, entering into a marriage simply because I can, or entering into a marriage simply because I think that the clock is ticking, and uh, rather than seeking God in prayer and waiting uh, for His plan and for His timing, uh, it is important to understand that there is something harder than being single in life, and that is being married to the wrong person. Uh, being married to an Ishmael, being married to the product of uh, your choice or my choice on the basis of our human ingenuity or our human effort. It can, uh, this can take uh, place in the form of taking a job, where I take a job solely based upon my own human reason and calculation and, uh, and, uh, and it looks so obvious. I mean, God wants me to do this. It's as clear as anyone could be. If I can see it, God can see how clear uh, this decision would be. And, uh, and that job is taken completely independent of prayer uh, or any concern for God's direction or, or will at all. 
This happens all the time in the purchase of a house or the, or the purchase of any kind of major material thing that is going to involve uh, incur, uh, incurring uh, long-term uh, debt. Uh, and and to buy a house or to buy something of this nature, really anything, but something of this nature, this magnitude, simply because I can qualify for the loan or simply because it seemed like a good thing to do at the moment uh, in the light of, uh, of the market. And there being no prayer uh, or no seeking of God related to uh, his mind concerning it. It also creeps into ministry and in our, into our Christian service. Uh, an opportunity opens up in Christian service, something that uh, we, uh, is offered to us. It's something that God maybe has even promised that He is going to one day bring our way. And then without any concern for uh, God's timing, about any concern at all for the will of God, here we are impatient, we're chomping at the bit, and tired of waiting, and we simply jump in and we commit to it, and within sometimes 48 hours or six months or two years, we realize this is a disaster and God wasn't a part of it uh, at all. Uh, what school we enroll our children in or who we allow to be their friends uh, and their influencers as a result uh, what hobbies or activities we allow them to pursue, and all of these uh, uh, decisions being made solely, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after the year, in the raising of children, for example, and all of those decisions being made purely on the basis of human ingenu uh, ingenuity and human wisdom and on the basis of, of calculation. Well, I think that most of us can recognize how easy it is to fall into this and the possibility of even living our entire lives in that kind of a place. And we recognize it from our own life experience. And we recognize it from uh, watching the life experience of other people uh, as well, Christians. There are some people who are Ishmael producing machines. Uh, their lives are a, a, a series of one disastrous decision after another. And this is why this passage in the Bible and the lesson associated with it is so uh, important to learn from. Now, I want to close this morning by very briefly mentioning uh, eight things here that are important. I'll give them to you in a sentence uh, form. I don't want you to lose heart at this point at, at hearing eight words or, or, or eight uh, things at this point. But eight things from this passage that we really do need to stay alert to in terms of avoiding creating Ishmael's in our life and then uh, having the misery that they then uh, can bring to our lives. First, we must always stop dead in our tracks uh, concerning any plan or decision we are making under the thinking that God needs our help or that God needs our carnal uh, help in, or striving 
in keeping His promises to us in any situation. He simply doesn't. Uh, Second, we must always be careful of making decisions based solely upon human reasoning and human calculations. Again, very famous uh, passage in the Bible. My wife Karen taught on a portion of it this last Wednesday night. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And then here it is. Lean not on your own understanding. It's like God just knows what we're going to do. Uh, be tempted to do uh, upon receiving any promise from Him. And all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. And uh, so often we can look at even major decisions in our lives and just consider them to be no-brainers. But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 informs us that there are no no no-brainers in life. The only thing that's a no-brainer is the promises that God gives to us. Third, we must always be careful of human effort. This entire scheme of Sarai and Abram was solely the product, once again, of their human reasoning and their human effort. In other words, just because we can do something doesn't mean that God wants us to do it. You say, how obvious is that? Listen, I need obvious in my life in this regard. I, I violate the obvious, so I need it to be stated to me. And all of that brings us then to uh, prayerlessness. The surest way to produce Ishmael's in our life is to make prayerless decisions. Uh, prayer is an expression of my dependence upon God. And as a result, a lack of prayer is uh, equally an expression of my a sense of independence from, uh, uh, from, from God and uh, the confidence that we can handle uh, life and decisions uh, on our own. And every time we find Abram in the Bible and we see that him with the tent and with the altar, he does fine. Every time we see him walking uh, under the imagery of the tent, that recognition that he is a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, and then the altar, he is staying prayerful and close to the Lord and in his relationship with the Lord, everything goes fine. And here in, uh, but every time he violates, it's, it's a disaster. And, uh, and here there is a complete absence of prayer in the entire situation. Fifth, we need to always be wary of impatience in our lives. I, I am by nature an impatient person. I like to, uh, I like to uh, not under the motivation of covetousness or greed, I just like to fix problems fast. I don't like them to be long-standing and festering. So we, we all have our, the, you know, uh, where our impatience can manifest itself, but we all possess it to some, to some degree, and we really need to be uh, a, 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 aware of it when we're tempted to take control of our lives or a situation 
and now uh, we start to drive it because God is taking too long here, and, and I want this thing right now, or I want this problem solved uh, right now. And we will always mar what, what God is, is, is wanting to do, and patience will never advance His plan within, within our lives. A famous verse in that, in terms of Isaiah chapter uh, 28, he that believeth, that is, you know, trusts in God, will not make haste. I think all of us recognize decisions that we made hastily and quick, quickly and how much we came to, uh, to regret them. When God waits to fulfill a promise to us, and thus when He forces us to wait, it is always because there is a better timing and a better circumstance in which to keep that promise. And it's important in our impatience to realize that while we may look at this and say, uh, this is the good, there will be good, this, this will work, that as the old saying goes about sacrificing the best for the good, well, in terms of God's will, there is no good. We sacrifice the best for uh, an Ishmael, a mess. And so the importance of, of, of patience in, in that. Sixth, it's important to, that we be careful of the unsanctified proposals and suggestions of others, especially those that uh, we love the most in life, especially those who hate to see us suffer or they hate to see us waiting so long for a promise of God to be uh, fulfilled. And they hate to see us in that kind of agony, so to speak, and they want to bring our trial to an end. And in this case, it was Sarai related to, to, to Abram. Even the schemes and the, the proposals of those who love us most in life have to be handled with discernment and with care and maybe even with the most discernment and, uh, and care of all in life. Seventh, we need to be especially careful concerning things that we want badly in life. Abram wanted a son very, very badly. Uh, Sarai wanted him to have a son very, very badly. And sometimes it is in the area of the things that we want most in life that we are the most prone to now uh, take control of our lives and then uh, try and produce them in our timing. And then eighth here, and finally, and vitally, <laughs> Uh, in, in all of this is the importance to recognize the incredible grace of God that is represented in this mess. And here you have Abram and Sarai. They've made a complete mess here in producing this Ishmael contrary to the promises of God, contrary to the purpose of, of, of God for their life, and yet God steps in. And, and they're going to have to deal with the consequences for the rest of their lives, to be sure. But He steps in and with His grace 
and, uh, and in rescuing uh, Hagar, he, he overwhelms the situation, he rescues Hagar, he promises to bless Ishmael, and, and in getting his salvation plan back on schedule with, with Abram and Sarai. In other words, there's still a future. God's, God's plan is still in play, even after we can mar it in, in this way. And the Lord, He'll do the same thing for us. Of course, we're never ever to use God's grace as an excuse to just create Ishmael's or to, to sin or continue in a life of, of, of self-will. But when we fail in this, in this regard, and I've never known a single person who hasn't, a single Christian who hasn't, you can introduce yourself to me at the back door uh, afterwards if you haven't. This is, in fact, an entire line will form to shake your hand. But, but so we never want to use God's grace as an excuse for continuing in sin or self-will. But when our plans do fail and they, and they crash and burn, and we, we turn back the control of our life back to the Lord, it's important to note that God will retake control and He will start to redirect us uh, once again in His good and acceptable and perfect will. That where sin abounds, uh, grace truly does abound uh, much more. You know, life is hard enough without unnecessarily creating Ishmael's in our lives uh, to boot. Works of the flesh produced by our own uh, human effort and our own human ingenuity. And I will, could never ever say that I've never created an Ishmael in my life. But having created them, it makes me want to avoid uh, doing so uh, ever so more in my life. I mean, there is an, a, a glaring example of an Ishmael that I created at one point in, uh, in, in, uh, in my life. fills my mind at this, this moment. But uh, this incident in Abram and Sarah's life, uh, the, the teaching here of chapter 16 has been an important one in the course of my Christian life and Christian service in uh, influencing me uh, to slow down and to be careful of situations that I want to begin to take charge of in my own strength and in my own wisdom. And, uh, and, and, and just the thought is I'm right on the cusp of making as bad a decision as they made here. To have the thought come into my mind, you're going to create an Ishmael here. And it is going to be a total work of your flesh. And how often God has used that to back me off from something I was hurtling uh, headlong uh, into. And my prayer this morning is that it will be just that kind of a help in each of your lives as well. And uh, some of you, if, for you, this is a familiar territory and a familiar lesson. And, uh, but for a great number of people uh, sitting here today, this is the first time they're even hearing such a thing. And as you, those of you who are familiar with the lesson in long years in your Christian life, you realize just 
how valuable this is that has been introduced into people's uh, relationship with God and in their, their service uh, to Him. And perhaps even this morning we have uh, rescued uh, a number of people this morning from an absolute disaster uh, that was uh, going to uh, close or finish, you know, tomorrow or next week in the, in the immediate, uh, but then the importance of having this lesson in our lives for the remainder of our pilgrimage. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, um, all you can face life with is your own human effort and your own ingenuity. And thus, you will be an endless casualty of the severe limitations of your own wisdom and your own strength. And maybe you're in church today because you have been uh, casualty enough of those things. And you would like to come to know the God who has created you, who loves you, who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again on the third day, Jesus Himself, in order to make a way for you to have a relationship with your Creator and to now come under His wisdom and His direction for your life, the One who loves you supremely, and will never, ever make a mistake in your life. If you'd like to receive the forgiveness of sins and begin that relationship with God today by making Him the Lord of your life, there will be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you for that to happen, and it happens in an instant because it is provided to you as a gift from God. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we really marvel at your word. We marvel at the broad diversity of subjects that you address in your word and then how diversely you clothe these truths through your word in a way that we can understand the truth and that we can recognize them in our own lives and appreciate, Lord, the place that your truth uh, needs to have within our lives. And I pray and we pray for one another that you would use this time in Genesis chapter 16 to protect us from creating even one more Ishmael in our lives through the rest of our pilgrimage. And we entrust you to do that through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.